welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and as always, plenty of entertainment. It's been a busy two weeks since our last episode, with Triathai taking place in Ireland across the June Bank Holiday weekend. I hosted the two-day Sport Ireland National Development Officer Conference in Dublin last week and this past weekend we kick-started the Ironman UK racing season with Ironman 70.3 Staffordshire on Sunday. It was great to see so many familiar faces over the past couple of weeks. Congratulations to everyone who raced in a thigh and Staffordshire. Whether it was your first race or you were stepping up in distance to go longer than before, I hope you had fun and enjoyed the experience. There was great excitement when we did the World Championship slot allocation at Staffordshire. I can't wait to see all the athletes who accepted their slots race in Utah in October. It's going to be epic. Sadly, on Sunday at Ironman 70.3 Staffordshire, an athlete passed away during the race. So behind all the excitement of the event, there really was a big sense of loss and sadness at the tragic loss of life. My thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of the athlete. Looking to this weekend, I'm off to Mondello and for the first time since picking up a microphone at a race, I will be both announcing and racing at an event. So I'm excited and nervous about what lies ahead. I am looking forward to racing with the Cycling Ireland Women's Commission eight-person team. We had lots of fun on the track last Thursday night and we met up for a training session. The girls are very strong and gunning for a great time on the track. I hope I'll be able to keep up. My race preparation hasn't been ideal with all the travel the past few weeks and then catching the COVID, but fingers crossed I'll be fighting fit for the weekend. I'm cramming on the bike this week, getting a few miles in the legs before the big weekend. Well, not really, just enjoying getting out and about again and having some fun on the bike. Karen Cassidy, queen of the track, will be aiming to retain her title and reach the 600k milestone within the 24 hours. You can listen to her recount her adventure from last year on episode 67 of the podcast. Be sure to keep an eye on the socials at Mondello24 and the Women's Cycling Ireland Facebook page from Saturday at 12pm to see how we all get on. I'll be taking over the Mondello socials for the 24-hour event. This is a busy week for cycling. The Ross kicks off today. Best of luck to everyone taking part. I'll be glued to the coverage over the next few days. The Western Challenge also takes place this weekend in Galway and Race Across America and Race Across West also kicked off yesterday. Joe Barr takes on Race Across West whilst Graham Mackin and Team Aspect take on Ram, the toughest ultra cycling event in the world. And speaking of toughness, lifelong friends Damien Brown and Fergus Farrell pushed off from New York earlier this week in their quest to row from New York to Galway, a 3,000 mile row across the Atlantic Ocean. Wow, it's going to be a busy few days of dot watching. Special shout out to our very own Emma Porter, who raced at the Wish One gravel race in Milau, France, taking third place in the gruelling 130k gravel race recently, securing her slot for the UCI Gravel World Championships. Go Emma! You can read her race report on our website. I was delighted to chat with Mike Riley on his Find Your Finish Line podcast recently. The episode was released last week. You can check out the details and tune in on www.trytalkingsport.com. It was lots of fun being on the other side of the microphone for a change and we had great crack. For those of you who may be taking on your first Ironman or Ironman 70.3 in the UK or Ireland this year, be sure to check out the webinar I hosted with the team from Ironman UK and Ireland last week. You can check it out on our website and also be sure to check out the Help I'm Racing an Ironman article on our site. In this first article, I share some top tips to help take the stress out of both packing and racking those red, white and blue bags. 
As always, big shout out to our partners, Nuasan. I've been using the CBD muscle gel quite a bit over the past couple of weeks, not because I'm working hard on the bike, but because I find it helps my legs reset after a long day on my feet announcing. Be sure to check out the products on www.nuasan.com and use the code TTS15 to get a 15% discount on their product range. So now to this week's episode. Katie O'Brien from Galway is a para rower with her eyes and heart set on a gold medal at the Paralympics in Paris in 2024. Born with a severe case of spina bifida which affected her left leg and parts of the left side of her body, she has excelled in rowing in recent years after picking up the sport in her mid-teens. Rowing for years in a single boat, she was on the lookout for a male partner to join her on her Paralympic journey so that she could try to qualify to represent her home of Clarenbridge, her club and her county in Galway and, of course, her country on the highest stage possible in sport. Her journey has ebbed and flowed along the way, but Katie has powered through each obstacle, winning multiple medals and accolades. Katie represents Ireland in the PORW1X category and is a member of Galway Rowing Club. She previously rowed for UCD while studying to become a vet, her second passion in life, rowing being her first. She took up rowing in 2013. After successfully rowing for a number of years, she took a break during her college years and upon her return has once again begun to excel in the sport. She won a bronze medal at the 2019 World Rowing Championships in Linz. Prior to that, she finished sixth in the A final in the World Rowing Cup in 2013 in Eton. She has also won gold at the Henley Women's Regatta and at the Home International Regatta and has also set two world records on the ERG, the first in 2015 over one kilometre, the second over 2K in 2021. Katie's positive attitude and passion for success sees no stone unturned in the pursuit of her goals in sport and in life. Her determination is fierce and her focus is fixed. There is no stopping her. She is a star on the rise and this Galway girl is going all in on her pursuit of a gold medal at Paris 2024. Now, grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Katie O'Brien from Galway, thank you so much for taking time out from your hectic training schedule to join me for a chat on the podcast today. How are you? I'm very good, Joan, and thank you very much for having me. You've actually been on my hit list for quite a while um, (laughs) because I've been reading stories about Katie O'Brien, this amazing rower who has had so much success on the water and indeed off the water in recent years. But we connected recently at a summer lunch for BPW where you, along with the CEO of Rowing Ireland, were the guest speakers. So I thought it was a bit like fate was bringing us together so that we could arrange to have a chat. But we go way back, uh, Katie, and we'll get into that as we talk about your career in sport. But what are you at at the moment? Because you are in Cork and you're training like a devil. (laughs) I am. I am. So at the moment, I'm down in Cork and we recently relocated down here to start training full time with the rest of the squad. And so our upcoming race is the World Cup, too, um, and it's over in Poland and Poznan. So at the moment, we're kind of just building up momentum for that. Um, I'll be racing the double and the single actually at it. So really looking forward to that. It'll be my first time racing the single in over three years. And the double is just picking up momentum all the time. So really looking forward to seeing where we are at with that as well. Now, Katie, you throw the words double and single around there like you're talking about a bar of chocolate. What what does double and single mean in the rowing world? And, and what does that actually mean in terms of what you are doing at the moment? There's two types of rowing, basically. You have sweep rowing and you have sculling. So sweep rowing, you've used one oar and then with uh, sculling, you use two. So I, I either go in a double or a single. So for my most of my rowing career, I've been in the single. 
um, and racing myself. But the single isn't an event at the Paralympics. And that's kind of always really been my my, my goal, my long term goal. That's why I'm doing kind of both at the moment. So the double is kind of the, the aim, the, the big aim, really, to try and qualify it for Paris 2024. And then the single um, I'm just racing at the moment because I suppose I'll be doing a lot of training in that anyway. So I'm just kind of racing that and, and seeing how we get on over in Poland there, too. And Katie, you're a para rower. So what does that actually mean? And so I'm a para rower because I've spine bifida. Um, so my spine bifida affects my left leg. So I kind of have a gamial left leg. Um, but I'd be fairly, I'd be fairly lucky in terms of things because mo- majority of people with spine bifida would be in a in a wheelchair. So in that in that in terms of that, I'm actually quite lucky. But so that qualifies me for being a para rower. And then para rowing is kind of divided up into three categories. The first one is is arms only. So there's power rowing one, power rowing two, and power rowing three. Power rowing one, you only use your arms. Power rowing two, which is me, you use your arms and your body. And then power rowing three is is you basically are normal, able-bodied rowing. Um, you could just be missing a toe or you might be blind or something like that. <laughs> you, you say it so casually, um, you know, talking so freely and openly about your disability. And actually, that's where we met first was actually in my former life and former career <laughs> as a fundraiser with Enable Ireland. And it's actually lovely to reconnect with you all these years later and to see how successful you have been. I remember a young Katie O'Brien coming in to Enable Ireland into the fundraising office and we used to have great crack where did the drive come from to become this amazing sportswoman and how has this just blossomed that you've become such a superb athlete and so determined and overcome so many obstacles to get where you are today oh well thanks Ryan. I was honestly so sh- like nearly shook when I saw you at the at that event because I have I, I genuinely have such fond memories of being in your office and having crack in there playing with all the gadgets you had in your desk so <laughs> it was lovely to, it was lovely to reconnect uh, definitely but um I think the the turning point really was when I was watching the Paralympics in 2012 and I kind of was just watching it and was like Jesus I'd love to do that like I was watching my dad at the time and the only sport I was into at the time really was kind of horse riding. I mean, I did a bit of camogie in that, but I, well, I was in goals, like I can't, can't run that far. But um, I did a bit of camogie in school. But at the, at the time, anyway, I was big into horse riding. So we looked it up online and there was this open day up in UCD and I was 16, 15 or 16 then. So we said we'd go up and have a look. And I went up to the horse riding stand, but it was only dressage. And as cool as that is, but I, I was kind of looking for more of a, you know, an adrenaline buzz. So um. I, I went around to the other stalls and then there was a rowing stall and uh, tried the rowing, was asked back. And then I suppose I I'm a, I have a competitive nature, I suppose I could say. And I ended up being kind of all right at it. And I, I liked that. So I just kept at it. And really now I'm just so deep into it that <laughs> I'm just keeping going. So that's kind of how it all came about, really. Casually throwing in there, I was kind of good at it and kind of competitive. And I liked the adrenaline <laughs> side of it. Um, are you absolutely hooked on the sport of rowing? I am. I definitely am. And like, it's, it's definitely some, it's an addiction. Like anyone who rows will tell you, but I think most sports are really, it's just, it's an addiction and it's the buzz you get. And it's that feeling of, you know, giving it everything and working hard. And it's that slog and it's like, it, it takes, and the long, it's almost like the longer it takes to get there, the more rewarding it is. And it's, and it has been, I mean, I've been, like I said, I'm, I'm now 25, started when I was 15, 16. Now I had a, a break in between, but like, that's a long out road. And I've been aiming at the Paralympics since then. And, and I still haven't got there. So it ha- it is definitely been a slog, but hopefully now it amounts to something because it's looking more and more likely now. So And getting to Paris has been a journey in itself, which we'll come back to, because I, I want to talk to you about participating in sport as a young girl and a young girl with a disability. Was it difficult? Um, I suppose 
the disability was could have been difficult but I have to say I'm from a lovely village and I like I'm from Clarenbridge and like my classmates were unbelievable when I was younger like at the age of like nine and ten like they like I would have been in goals but I would it's not like I was last to be picked I mean I would have been one of the first few people to be picked on the team or you know I have no sad story like that or when I was in my I was in a wheelchair for a few years as well and like there's a few lads there like from Clarenbridge and we used to play this game where they'd be pushing me around the basketball court and I used to get speeding tickets and stuff if I was going too fast so there'd be one is the guard and one is pushing me like and we'd have such crack like but I mean I I could be telling you a sad story where I sit at the side of the, the thing, you know, sit in my wheelchair, but I wasn't. I was having great crack the whole time and I was always involved in sports. So for me, my disability wasn't really that difficult. Like I have to say, I just, I think that I was lucky in the people I was surrounded by that it wasn't an issue for them. It wasn't an issue for me. We kind of just, it was a very nonchalant, like it wasn't, it was a non-event really. And we found ways around it. Like the other thing we used to do was uh, my right leg is quite good. So when I was in my wheelchair, we used to just flip up the right pedal and they parked me kind of in a good spot beside the goal. And every now and then, then I just get the ball would come to me and I'd swing the leg up and fire the ball at the goal like so like I've, I mean I, I've always been involved in sport and I, I like that people around me made it easy you know and that's interesting to hear as well because you grew up in quite a sporting family um you know Evine and your brother Sean is, is is very well known in rugby circles as well and of course your your granny Peggy Carty O'Brien would have been very well known in Galway as well for everything that she did and that was a lovely connection back to to BPW Galway you talk about the people surrounding you and supporting you who are the people now that are your go-to people for support in sport well, I suppose there's definitely role models out there. Not that I go to them, but I look at like Katie Taylor, Kelly Harrington, you know, all of those are massive role models. But people that I go to in my own life, like you said, I have my brother there who's a, a big, you know, inspiration in his sporting world, but even more so in just a, the type of person he is. Um, my entire family are amazing. Like they're really lovely, cool and, and helpful, loving people and support me in whatever endeavor I go for. So and again, like the Claren Bridge, like they like people are are also behind me. Like my, I have coaches behind me. I've my group of friends from primary school, from secondary school. People are so supportive in, in everything I've been doing and are backing me the whole way. And you, you really feel that, you know, and as, as the momentum picks up, like even when when I, momentum wasn't there, they were still there. And you know, it's 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 amazing really the support you get and where you can get it from as well. Like like that all aspects of my life I receive it from and it's it's been brilliant and teachers too through the years and I mean it's just too many people to name really but like the the saying it takes a village to rear a child has never been more apt like even in Galway Rowan Club there like the the people like you'd be like people driving trailers or just people helping you out with the boat or the setting of the boat and just mad little 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 jobs that all they all amount to, to where you get so there's a lot of hands in this pie, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Talk me through your journey. Tell us a little bit about Katie O'Brien, the student in college, the athlete on the water, and now that journey towards Paris. I suppose it's so, yeah, it starts back when I was 16 and then I was in school still at the time. And like, I mean, I wasn't doing it massively competitively. I was only training two or three times a week. And even at that I mean, I was going to training, but I wasn't like it wasn't like I am now where I'm, you know, gunning for it. Like um, so that was kind of 15, 16. And then when I was I, I suppose I picked up a little bit then at 16 and I went to Henley and the, the home internationals. And then um, so I rode up until about the age of 18 
And then when I got to 18, there was a guy kind of training with me again, going back to singles and doubles. So there was a guy kind of training with me um, when I was 15, 16 in the double. And then he he kind of gave up the rowing. So I was back in my single. So when I got to the age of 18, I still couldn't go to the Paralympics and I'd kind of done all the competitions that were available because there was no class for the single in either the World Cups or the World Championships or the Paralympics so there was nowhere really else for me to to race so I was also heading into first year college which training doesn't really go hand in hand when you want to be having a bit of crack so um, I kind of decided I'd, I'd pack it in as well so I left the rowing then when I was 18 and I kind of just had great out crack for first and second year of college. I went to college in UCD. Um, so when I got to third year then in college, things got a little bit more serious in terms of trying to do a bit of work. Things kind of pick up in third year in veterinary. So I was kind of do, trying to do a bit more study. So, you know, sport and training kind of goes well with that sometimes just to have a break from it. So um, got back into the training um, in kind of third year of college. So again, I was probably like 2021. 20, and then the next year I went to the World Championships then in um, in Linz in Austria. Um, so that that was that was a lovely kind of intro back into it because they the really the main reason I got back into it was they brought an event to the World Championships and to the World Cup. So an old coach kind of gave me a call and said, look, there's a ch- there's a chance there now for you. I know it's not the Paralympics, but it's the World Champs and it's the World Cup. So is there any chance you get back into it? And I was actually only recently back from a summer in America and I'd put on a good 10 kilos. So <laughs> I was fairly happy to accept <laughs> a bit of exercise. So um, that, that's kind of how that happened. And so then a year later, I was at, I went to the Worlds. And really from that point on, I knew that success was kind of, I could, it was in my reach and I've just been gunning for it since really. So that's kind of the, the, the whole of it. We have seen a campaign over the past couple of years since then to try and find you a partner for the doubles, for the Paralympics. Talk to me about the man that you have found to be in the boat with you. So the man I found is Stephen McGowan. Uh, He's a Ross Common man and he's as um, determined as I am, which is brilliant. So uh, he had a car crash about four years ago. Um, he was the only one in the car crash, but he um, had a kind of an incomplete fracture of the spine. So he's got kind of he's he's paralyzed from kind of the hips down but he's um and he's a wheelchair user but he's like I said as determined as I am and he's great crack it's lovely to finally be training with somebody else as well um and lovely like I said to finally be in a double and actually be looking like we have a shot at, at trying to qualify so um yeah that's that's Stephen now not only trying to qualify but you really do want to get a medal at the Paralympics and I think Somebody told me that you told Stephen the very day you met him that he had to produce a medal in Paris and you haven't frightened him off yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. We went for lunch with Mr. Waffle um, the very first day. Well, I mean, we'd met, we'd met in Cork at the Open Day, but I asked him to come down to Goy then to try out, uh, the, to put him into the single and see how he got on. Uh, we went for lunch with Mr. Waffle and I, I, d- I definitely did tell him that day that that was my plan. So uh, if once he didn't run then, I kind of knew he'd stick around and he just like, excuse the pun, but he he took to it like a fish to water. So he, he's he's been flying it since and he's just coming on all the time. I mean, he's only rowing a year now and he's rowing for Ireland at the World Cup. So it just shows you like, you know, what, what he's done in a year and where we can be in two more years time by the time you come around to, to the Paralympics. And what's the dynamic like between the two of you in terms of motivating each other? And I suppose, you know, when you're having a bad day or he's having a bad day, keeping each other in good form and focused. Yeah, um, the rowing machine is an erg session. So doing doing an erg session by yourself is miserable. Like, but if there's someone there beside you going through the very same pain, I'm, I mean, you do cycling, John. So you, I'm sure you know that feeling of just 
slogging it by yourself. But if there's someone there feeling that burn beside you, there's just for some reason it's easier. So uh, that's been brilliant. And like that, he's he's he wants to do as well as I do. And we both have the same goals in mind and we have a very similar attitude towards life, too. So uh, like you'd be surprised the amount of time we've spent together over the last year, I'd say more than anyone else. So thank God we do get on or it would, it would be a disaster. <laughs> and what does a typical training day look like for you? You mentioned at the start of, of the chat that you're down in in Cork at the National Training Centre and you're you're pretty much moving down there now for, for the summer. So what does a typical day look like for you at the moment? And I know you're literally just off the water and heading back out onto the water again this afternoon. Yeah, so um, a typical day usually would have two sessions. Um, now today it's kind of almost three because the first session's on the water and then the second session will be like a, a water plus gym. So it'll be kind of two stuck together. So you'll be doing weights straight after. Typically, yeah, I mean, we arrive usually around quarter past eight, you're on the water for maybe quarter to nine, and then you'll be on the water for maybe two hours. And then like that, get off the water, shower, eat, relax for an hour, and then you're back out either on the water or on the rowing machine or the gym. So it, there's usually two sessions a day. And depending on what the session is, you know, whether it's a speed session, it might be shorter, or if it's one of those kind of longer T2 sessions, you know, it's just kind of more, you'd be longer out in the water, but less, less intense. Um, but yeah, so it's two sessions really most days and then either a rest day or a half day then during, during the week. So you're training six, seven days a week, double sessions. How do you fuel your performance every day? I have absolutely no bother with eating. Like <laughs> I will eat till the cows come home. So that's never an issue for me. I know some athletes need to take oak gain and things like, you know, the big calorie kind of surplus in was no bother. Like I, I'd shovel food in no bother. So protein shakes, um, you know, to keep the protein high, but yeah, just, just eating loads. I've, I've no strict diet really. I mean, I'm, I, I suppose I'd be healthy enough eater. Like I'm not eating super max every, every day, but, um, and don't get me wrong, I love Supermax and I eat it the odd time, but I'm not eating it every day. But really just getting in a lot of good food is, is the main is the key thing. Um and and quite soon, like after my session, you know, you'd be you have to be on top of it, like getting it in quite quick so you're recovered and ready for the next one. Um and you know that that's definitely a key factor. And what about sleep? Do you take little naps in the middle of the day or what would your sleep be like at night? I wish I could nap. I wish I could, but I, I can't. I need to get better at that. But um, I, I do lie down like, and I know a lot of people would sleep during the day, but I've, I've some issue. I just can't nap like, but I, I'm a good sleeper at nighttime. I'd, ha- I'd, I'd um, like, I'd go to bed maybe about 10 o'clock, be asleep by half 10 and then up at, you know, whatever it is, like half six, seven, depending on what time we're on the water. So I I'd get my eight hours and I I'd sleep quite heavily for the, for the eight. But, you know, I'm not much of a nap for now, I have to say. <laughs> and what about um, on the day off? What, what do you do when you're not on the water? What do you do to go have fun other than going to Mr. Waffle and having Supermax? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably eating too. Don't, uh, I'd probably go somewhere for food, but meeting friends or just chill. Sometimes you just want to lie on the couch and do nothing. Um, but yeah, meeting friends or if I know I have a rest day and there's no competition coming up, I definitely go out for a few drinks too. So that's important as well. Um, but yeah, so just relaxing and trying to do something other than rowing, I suppose. When you look at how that day in UCD potentially changed your life and all the work you've put in over the past number of years, it's incredible to think about where young Katie O'Brien, who used to come into my office in Enable Ireland as a young kid 
is now and what you've achieved. And we're talking about you going to the Paralympics. You did really, really well at the World Cup. You also were first and won a gold medal for Ireland uh, in the Henley Royal Regatta in the singles. That was the first medal for Ireland in quite a while as well, wasn't it? Um, I think so. I can't quite remember now. It was so long ago, like it was nearly 10 years ago. But yeah, so I went to Henley and... um, race a single there it was kind of it, it was a it was a big learning curve for me too because I it was one of my first proper races because there's very few para rowers in Ireland so it was kind of when I went to England um it, they have they have a little bit it's kind of a bit more prevalent over there I suppose so it was my first time really racing other people in my in my category um so it was an unreal experience and it's kind of a funny course there so it's just side by side racing and the boys are are like wood so if you hit them you're in bother like it was cool. It was very cool, I have to say. And sure, it was lovely to come home with the medal too. Yeah. Some of my best moments over the last few years really have been involved with sport. And I suppose, you know, the times where you do well at competition, there's usually, in my case, I'm quite lucky, I suppose, there is usually like family or friends there to support me. And so when you do come home with a medal or or that, you know, it's it's awful exciting having your family and friends there to be celebrating with. So, I mean, it's been it's been brilliant. Yeah. Are you proud of what you've achieved? Yeah, I, I am, I suppose. And like more so in recent times, looking back rather than at the time, I think looking back over, you don't like like I was so young when I was doing it that I didn't really, you know, realize it. Um, And I suppose in recent times, too, that I now that I'm able to actually race, you know, internationally and compare myself to other people over the world that and and see how I do compared to them um finally I kind of it kind of gives you a sense of of like yeah okay I am actually good good at this um rather than because in Ireland you know there's no one really to race so you don't know uh, until you go abroad and get to race people and and then you kind of see where you're at and you were third at the world champs in Austria in 2019 but you set a 2k world record uh in 2021 talk to me about that yeah so I suppose with lockdown I was kind of stuck a lot um on the on the rowing machine and you know I so in 2019 I raced the world championships in Linz in Austria and I um I like like you said I got the bronze medal so after that I kind of had built up momentum and I was kind of getting really excited to to build on that and try and race it again the next year so when 2020 came around the world championships were cancelled and then when 2021 came around the world championships were cancelled but I'd been kind of slogging away you know, at home on the row machine and building up speed and building up power. So the erg is the row machine. And I mean, I knew I was getting close to the world record, but I, I wasn't sure if I was there. So um, my coach just said to me, sure, sure, give it a go and see you get on. So I went on to the row machine anyway, and um, I wasn't really sure whether it, I'd do it or not. And so I, I suppose it was good in some ways that I hadn't put pressure on myself. I was kind of just seeing where, where I'd be. So, yeah, I, I gave it a go anyway. That was kind of last, I think it was October, last October. And I, I just pipped the world record by a few milliseconds. So so yeah. what is the record, Katie? She's I think it's 802 point be point three I'd have to double check it but it's 802 point something anyway so coming back to say 2020 in Tokyo 2020 you did try to get to the Paralympics in Tokyo didn't you but decided that you just didn't have enough time with um Stephen to to pull it off yeah so Stephen kind of came on the scene maybe last January and the qualifiers were in May so I mean he was only rowing 12 weeks and we had like a month to go and like, I mean, asking someone to be up to that standards is just really impossible. Not that we even gave it a go, but we didn't have enough time and we weren't up to like we, Stephen was still learning how to row, never mind 
to be as fast as we needed to be to qualify for a Paralympics. So um, we just said, look, we'll we'll go back to the drawing board and we'll focus now on Paris 2024. Um, and, and that was kind of that. By the time Stephen uh, kind of came on the scene, it was only months away. So there was no real, no real shot at it. Um, and it was also 2021, at the, you know, when you think about it, it was also 2021 at the time. So I kind of already parked it and then because they were moved forward a year I mean there was just a glimpse of hope but uh, it was it was a bit far-fetched to think that somebody who'd never rode before would be able to to get up to that standard but a year later and he's he's flying it so hopefully now we'll we'll it's looking a bit more positive for for the next one. Do the boats differ in para rowing versus other types of rowing? Yeah they actually do so they're a little bit wider and a little bit heavier and I think they're just wider so they're a little bit more balanced because most of the time um, like, you know, people say in, in our classification, we wouldn't have as good a stability, whether it's through the core or whether it's through your legs. Sometimes, the, you know, the stability of the boat wouldn't be as good as it would with an able-bodied rower. So I think by widening the boats, it allows them to be a bit more stable. Um, and also the para rowers. So going back to the classifications, so there's PR1, PR2, PR3. So the PR1 rowers, who are the ones who just use their arms, they actually have like flotation devices either side of the boat as well, just in case they, you know, they tip it because again, they'd have even less less stability than the PR2 rowers so um, yeah there is little modifications in the boats for for um, for the power rowers. When you look back at your sporting career to date what are you most proud of? Um, I would say my medal at the world championships in 2019 because again it was kind of my first time really on the international scene and by myself and I kind of really didn't know whether I was up to that standard yet and um, I think the, the it wasn't even the medal but it was more that I was racing alongside people who I'd been watching in videos for years. And all of a sudden I find myself a thousand meters down the course and I can still see them and they're not gone way off ahead of me. And I'm actually beside them. Like, that's what I was thinking rather than thinking about rowing. I was like, oh my God, that this one is right beside me. Like, oh, like, Joe, I was kind of starstruck down the course. So that's kind of for me why it was a big achievement, not really the medal, but just like that people you're, you're watching videos of and you're racing them. It's It's mad, like. Do you get starstruck when you meet some of the rowers who've been on the scene for a long time? I definitely did that at the World Championships, that, like there in 2019. I I was every time I'd see someone, I'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's them. That's them. But now they've kind of become friends. Like it's an amazing community to be part of. Like um, everybody just wants everyone to do well. And it's, it, there's no real like, oh, like up at the start line and kind of giving each other daggers or anything like that. It's all it's very much high fives and like, oh, well done. And it's a really cool community to be part of, part of and everyone tries to help everyone so um like the, the people who I now who I was watching videos of I'm now talking to do you know so it's it's kind of come around full circle um but yeah I was 100% starstruck when I when I started first and there's going to be plenty of young girls who are going to be looking up to Katie O'Brien as the years progress saying oh my god I'm on the start line beside <laughs> Katie O'Brien Katie staying in sport while you were in school was that difficult we hear an awful lot about trying to keep teenage girls in sport trying to keep girls in their 20s in sport but talk to me about some of the obstacles you would have seen for uh, trying to keep girls in sport while you were a teenager or were there any? Yeah um, I think again going back to like where I'm from and stuff it was it was I suppose Camogie would have been the big one in Clarenbridge um, and a lot of girls would have stuck at it now a, a lot didn't and it kind of just depended on the girl really um, I think a lot of it comes down to kind of you know your your interests change and I don't know I don't I don't know really why girls give it up I think I think does it become something that's not very seen as very feminine and they want to be look you know is it that or is it I don't know what it is but 
I think it's very individual, really. And it's very it's it's down to the, the like because so many people stay at it the whole way through. Some people leave and come back to it. And there was there was plenty of girls who were brilliant and like could, you know, like could have made it to like national teams and all of that in, in, in school that didn't keep it up. Um, but then again, there was girls who were unreal, played county and still playing county. So uh, it's very individual. But it, I think a lot of it came down to personal choice. And you're like there was in terms of obstacles, like there was opportunities there for girls. It's just whether they don't want to take them or not themselves. Um, and I'm like that. I've, I've never had any issues in terms of being a girl and being involved with sport. Like I would have played soccer with the, with the lads at lunch and there was no absolutely no bother like I was saying so um, I'd say I, you'd have given them a run for their money Katie <laughs> I don't know I don't know about that but maybe maybe as well it's down to where you're like you know location and um whether you know because I suppose it, there's definitely there's definitely young lads who would have a problem with that but people are the the, the the people from my school anyway and the Clarence Bridge and that they had no bother with involving the girls and, and they were all really sad. And so. I think it I think it comes back as well to what you said at the start about surrounding yourself with great people who kept you motivated, kept you included, and kept that opportunity available for you rather than anything being an obstacle. Everything was um an opportunity. From a personal level, where does the drive and the passion come from to be the best in the world at power rowing? I'm not 100% sure. It's a very difficult question. And like that, I was asked it at the BPW as well, and I've been asked it before. But um, I think when, when I when I like kind of reflect on my life and, you know, what's gone on in it over the years, I um, it had like I've had ups and downs and there's been challenges in my life the whole way through, really, I suppose. And I've always kind of I had no choice but to overcome them, maybe. And uh, I suppose that now it's just become maybe a personality trait, really, that I'm constantly dr- like driving and trying to push on and see what else I can do and get over things. And uh, I, I absolutely love a challenge and a slog and ha- I love a bit of hard work. So um, maybe it's just be kind of become something I've learned and it's now part of me. So I think that's that's probably the answer. Yeah. And I, I think your your mom and dad were, were very, very strong parents as well with you. I know your dad passed away in, in 2012, I think, wasn't it, around that time? You were very young for, for your dad to, to pass away. But, you know, you had such a supportive family that they never let your disability get in your way, if you know what I mean. You, you were given the opportunity to, to be the same as everybody else and to do the same as everybody else. By the age of 10, had you something like 20 operations to try and, and get your mobility up to where it could be uh, as best it could be? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if it was by 10, but definitely, I mean, I've definitely had over 20 surgeries now at this stage. Um, and like that, yeah, my my mom and dad, my disability, like, to be honest with you, I don't think it really dawned on me till I was about 14 that I actually had a disability. I just, I don't know, I didn't really think about it. Like, it was just kind of one of those things that I went in and I was in the hospital now and then, and sure, you know, I wore a splint. But then I was like, oh my God, I actually have a disability. You know, kind of was one of those moments. Like, but yeah, I, and I suppose that's a testament to my parents that it wasn't really a thing. And like I, I said it at the BPW as well, you know, I had to do the very same job my brother and sister had to do. And if they were horse riding, I was horse riding. And, you know, we found ways around things like, you know, I, I had a little martingale that I hung on to because, again, my balance wasn't 100 percent and I was just hanging on for dear life. But I was doing it. And, you know, there was never there was never a problem. We always found a way around things. And like that, my I had my mom and my dad were unreal like that there was it wasn't really like that it was just a non-event it wasn't really an issue and it wasn't a thing that we you know spent time thinking about it just was get on and get over it and that was it 
Yeah, and I think as well, like your personality is really shining through there of like a can do, will do um, attitude. And I don't know if you realize this, but I have a sister who has cerebral palsy. She sees me doing triathlon and uh, she wants to do stuff like I was doing. So during lockdown, we got her swimming in the sea, mild cerebral palsy. Her epilepsy is probably a little bit more debilitating. But again, like that, you have a, a soft bubble wrap around her to mind her even though she's in her 40s you have a soft bubble wrap around her to mind her but yet you want to see her in the water swimming we got her spinning bike at Christmas she's off doing her own walking challenges and it's almost like creating the adaptations to enable her to be able to do the exact same thing that I do so I'm sure your parents did the exact same thing that um, Sean and Avine were doing that, that you were thrown in at the deep end maybe with a bit more bubble wrap around you but still yeah, exactly. the opportunity was put in front of you to excel at what everything you could do it's 100% that's yeah 100% like it's 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 almost and it was almost like a see-through bubble wrap too like I didn't really see it uh, so they did it very well and like that I'm sure maybe your sister doesn't see the bubble wrap you know she's just been let into the sea and and like so it's 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 a it's a great way to do it and it it's just I suppose the people around you can make or break you and it's a it's a testament to you and a testament to my parents of you know um enabling us to be like just like everybody else and sport is a great way to bring people together as well isn't it you can adapt things so that everybody can do things no matter whether you're an able-bodied person who maybe isn't able to do something or you're somebody with a disability who has a bigger barrier to entry to participating in sport but providing the opportunity is the most important thing for people 110 percent like the it's the opportunity and allowing people to feel like they're on an even playing field and I mean I love I love getting into my boat because like it's so free and I'd be going up the river there and I'll take anyone on I don't care what age they are they could be they could be 10 or they could be 90 I'll take them on like up the river and uh you know it's it's so freeing because you you know there's there's times where you'll be you know not that it was ever a problem for me but obviously I wasn't very fast and I wasn't very you know when I did try and do sports and I was stuck to goals because obviously it couldn't be running up and down the field but like and getting people involved in sport or whatever they, they can do with the right adaptation and making them feel, you know like I feel 100% capable of doing everything that ever anyone else can do so it's it's giving people that opportunity is is the key I suppose. If I was to ask you aside from Paris aside from that big goal what what other piece of the elephant are you looking to take a chunk out of in rowing and in sport and in life for the future? You never know. I could still be around for 2028. That's out there. That's up in the ether. Um, the other thing then is my veterinary. I kind of need to do something about that too, because I've pressed pause on that. So I, I definitely like, I mean, being a vet was always my dream and I went and I did that. And I, and so now I, I worked as a vet for a year, but there, I have a lot more to learn and um, I would love to kind of feel like I could get accomplished in that kind of field as well so definitely I want to go down that road and, and be a vet for for a while and um, and then outside of that I don't really know I definitely feel like I'm not going to just be a vet and just go to the Paralympics I have one of those few I'll, I'll find something else to do I definitely will but I just not haven't put my finger on it yet Joanne <laughs> <laughs> um I have to laugh at you the way you say just be a vet and just be a Paralympian I mean they're massive achievements in themselves but speaking about the Paralympics how do you go about qualifying for Paris 2024 so the qualifications for the Paralympics or the Olympics are at the World Championships the year prior to the Olympics or Paralympics. So it for us, it'll be 2023 and it'll be um, it's usually August or September. 
you have to come in the top eight boats um, to qualify. And then there's also a second chance. So they, it's called the last chance regatta. And it's like three or four months before the Paralympics. And there's two more spots at that. Obviously not ideal to be leaving it that late and a bit stressful. So the ideal thing would be that we'd go in 2023 and come in the top eight boats. So we're hoping like this will be our first world championships this year if we, if we get to go um, and all going well, we'll go and we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, if we could make even the B final, we'd be delighted like I said Stephen's only rowing a year so to be getting to the world championships and to be up there with you know in in the top like 12 boats would be amazing and then hopefully by the time we get to uh, 2023 we'll be within the top eight. Is it stressful to be worrying about all that qualification process as well whilst you're trying to increase your ability and performance on the water? Not really. Um, I think I, th- I think I approach it in the way I approach racing. I don't really think about that. I'm just thinking about the task at hand and the task at hand is going and, you know, warming up and then it's going out and doing your, you know, your pieces. And then, you know, you just take it day by day and hour by hour. And I do the same thing with racing. I, I never really think about the big race. I think about the warm up before the race or, you know, I think about, the what I'm going to eat and all of that so just taking it hour by hour and not thinking about the mountain and just think taking it step by step yeah um so what's next Katie other than spending the summer down in Cork the big thing really this year is the world champs to see where we're at because the the world cups not every crew will will enter so the world champs is kind of where you see what everybody else has been up to all year too because you know there there could be people working away there and you haven't a clue what they're at so it'll be nice to kind of draw a line under it see where we're at park it there and then build for another year because you know once one I mean the world championships is in September so that's only what like three or four months away and after that we will literally only have 12 months to get ready to qualify so it's a very short time coming around and it'll it will fly so um yeah an exciting few months ahead really and if I was to ask you who has been the biggest inspiration in your life to date uh my dad Um, my dad my dad is my best friend and will always be and uh he's unreal so yeah has it been difficult over the years not to have him around? Oh, yeah. Like, um, definitely, I, I definitely, looking back, struggled without him for the first few years. Um, and at the time, I didn't, I, I mean, I was only 16, so I didn't really realise what I was going through mm. or anything like that. But dad was an unbelievable person. He supported all of us through our whole lives. And, um, yeah, like, definitely the person I am today because of him and... I have to say my whole family is the people we are because of him and he was the glue that kept us together but he left enough glue that we're still stuck together so um yeah I have to say I I was so lucky to have him for as long as I did and um yeah miss him and love him so much yeah that is just so fabulous and I think I'm going to finish it there because you're going to have both of us crying yeah about our fabulous daddies um (laughs) so Katie O'Brien congratulations on all you have achieved in such a short space of time. It's incredible to have watched your progress over the years. And I wish you every success with qualification, with the World Championships, the World Cups. And I cannot wait to see you on the start line in Paris and hopefully on a podium at the Paralympics in 2024. Uh, thanks a million Joanne and uh, enjoyed the chat and thank you very much again thanks for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this episode you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com you can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram pop by say hi let me know what you think of the show and if you are new to Try Talking Sport please do check out some of our previous episodes you will be impressed and inspired by our guests finally be sure to sign up to our new e-zine featuring articles of interest, some great discounts and the inside track on supporting your triathlon and endurance sport journey, wherever it may take you. 
Sign up on www.trytalkingsport.com. It takes 30 seconds and I promise I won't bombard your inbox with emails, just the important stuff. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. 